0: Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. As you'll notice today, there are a few different faces than what we normally have. Instead of having Anthony over here running the program, I, J. Dylan Proctor, am doing his job. I trained him for this job and yet it is extraordinarily complicated and beyond anything anyone could ever imagine. Joining us today in Chord Purgatory is not only Amanda Sparrow, who's a regular host here at Kingdom of the Logos, but also my father. Uh, Pastor Mike Proctor. So what a pleasure it is to have you all with us today. We're going to be talking about a few interesting concepts today. We're actually going to get to a few concepts that I've really been excited about. We're going to be talking about Marcionism. It's something which has come up here in recent American Christian culture, but we're also going to be talking a bit about the Antichrist. And actually, we're going to start off our conversation today talking about the Antichrist, and then we're going to move to talk about Marcion and then we're going to wrap up with a conversation about why we have different denominations. What's the deal with the denominational vibe we have in our culture? Again, it's one of these questions that I've I've been waiting for for a long time. I've been wanting somebody to be like, what is a Nazarene? Why do you people wear clergy collars? Why do you people meet in a house of worship on a regular part of the the week? And for some of us, um, we're here every day. Amanda was actually, she revealed to us that she was actually dropped off at church Well, she was left at church, and I think this is a permanent thing. Um, (laughs) She's just worked her way to the top and is now at pastor level. Um, Do they let you out, Amanda, ever?
1: (laughs) Occasionally, with good behavior.
0: (laughs) With good behavior. They don't let me out. Um, We're just sort of permanently here. But let's get right into it. So we're going to do the program a little bit differently today. In Anthony's absence, again, I'm going to be trying to run this very complicated operation and I'm going to make an argument about what I believe the Antichrist is. I've been thinking about this for a while. We've been studying the Gospel of John, the Epistles of John, the Johannine literature in particular here at Jolton Church of the Nazarene, the, past, the, the church where I pastor. And I've been contemplating what really is the Antichrist. We see it in singular and plural forms in the New Testament. What is the Antichrist? So I'm going to present my argument Again, this is not an absolute end-all, be-all argument for the Antichrist, but it's an idea that I want us to really ponder. And then I'm going to let Amanda respond and then my father respond. So let's get right into this. We all good? Mm -hmm. Good. All righty. There's a lot of mysticism around the concept of the Antichrist. Some of such mysticism may be appropriate. But I think we need a more practical and down-to-earth understanding of what the Antichrist is. So I'm going to present my claim, and then I'll let each of you respond. And those of you who are listening, you can send me a comment, question. So here's my claim. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is in fact the Word of God, which is also known as the Logos, then the Antichrist is the Anti-Logos. Furthermore, If the Word of God, also known as the Logos of God, is in fact God's eternal mechanism for giving order and holiness to all of creation, then the Antichrist is the mechanism of destruction, chaos, and reducing the world back to a nihilistic void of nothingness. Again, if Christ is the Word, then the Antichrist is the anti-word, or the anti-Logos. And of course, kingdom of the logos. We get that name at the end. It's not the word logo with plural, but it's actually the, the logos of God. In short, and here is really the heart of my claim: the essence of the Antichrist is that it is a language-based tool for destruction. Moreover, the Antichrist is not a single sentient being, but is it? It is instead a language-based tool for people to adopt and use for the causing of destruction. Now, next week I'm actually going to dedicate our midweek podcast to the topic of the Antichrist. I want to have a whole segment talking about this. But for now, let me give a few brief examples of what I mean when talking about the Antichrist in action because I really don't think it's this single sentient being that's out in the world, but instead it is a, a tool that people can adopt again. It's a language-based tool, similarly to how Christ is the Word. Christ is the Word gives order to creation, but the Logos, um, excuse me, the Antichrist it gives destruction. Now, here's some examples. Whenever people make arguments which sound true, or they may even be technically true, but are false, this is the Antichrist in action. Fake news in the modern era is an example of the Antichrist in action. Sophistry, which is making arguments that sound true, they may even be appealing or emotionally stirring, but they're actually false. Marcion, who we will discuss in a moment, was the Antichrist when he presented an edited version of the Gospel. He had elements of truth, he even taught of Jesus' role as God and the Messiah, but he edited out the role of God the Father. Recently, in our culture there was the entire hands up don't shoot narrative that came out of the michael brown situation this was really a design it was a narrative that was designed to get an emotional reaction out of people even though it didn't match reality other times in culture we see things like somebody will put out an ad and be like zero percent down or you might even see a car that's for sale and be like oh they want five thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars for that bmw3 series that seems like an okay deal and then you get close to it, and they're like, oh, that's the down payment. They showed something which looks kind of true, but it's not. Now, I'm not saying people are the Antichrist when they, they misrepresent the price of something, but it's that tool in action where you're trying to mislead people. Um, on moral issues, this would definitely be an example of the Antichrist. It's basically telling lies that are so well disguised or complicated that people can't see through them or overcome them. In the New Testament, there is an example where Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, he he realizes they're trying to arrest Jesus because again, in the Gospel of John, we find Nicodemus a few times and they don't actually just try to address Jesus right there at the end before he goes to the cross, but earlier they're trying to arrest him. Nicodemus is, is there. He's like, hey guys, do we just bring justice to someone without a trial? And they sort of Snarky themselves up at Nicodemus, and they say, "Well, go go dig up the records, look and see that no prophet comes out of Galilee." And well, you know what? That may be true. There may have never been a a prophet come out of Galilee before, but that is completely irrelevant to whether or not Jesus is the Messiah and whether Jesus is a prophet. I mean, at that time they didn't know to know exactly who Jesus was. I'm not saying that Jesus was a prophet, not the Messiah, but at their logic. That's not a way to discredit. So it's basically telling lies that are so well disguised or complicated that people can't see through them or overcome them. Again, this is not a comprehensive statement about the Antichrist. It's just a notion I want to throw out there. Um, What do you all think about this? Amanda, I'll let you respond first.
1: Well, I think when we come to the conversation of the Antichrist, especially those who maybe have been involved kind of in Christendom within the last 10 or 20 years, often we think of, there were some books and movies that came out uh, that that came out called The Left Behind series. And we have this kind of image in our mind of this one world leader that kind of through, th- through the EU or the UN or something like that gets to conquer the world. Um, and that stuff can be kind of a, a, a exciting in a theatrical version of it, right? Because then you, you've got this um, fantastical um, military battle between the, the Antichrist and, and Christians. Uh, but it really does become... It really is fiction if we think about it as we hear of what our scripture says about the Antichrist. And I think uh, Pastor Dylan brings up some really interesting points as we look at, to, at the Antichrist, that it's not a singular person. And yes, for sure, people can choose to use this tool to harm others, and others can be manipulated, manipulated or misled by these tools. Um, but it isn't like the singular person, but it is this atmosphere, it is the spirit, it is this idea Uh, where truth and um, order are reconfigured to really cause harm to the world. And I think the other thing that's really interesting about this is if we have an Antichrist like presented in the Left Behind series and other things like that, it's really obvious that he's the villain. And so it doesn't take a lot of logic, it doesn't take a lot of thinking, and a lot of self-initiative to really say that's the villain and we need to do something about it. Versus if the Antichrist is the spirit, is this tool, um, is this manipulation, then we as a people have to be very careful and have to think through it. It's a little bit more effort on our part because we have to be, uh, we have to trust God, we have to be empowered by God and be given that wisdom in order to decipher and to judge appropriately what is truly truth, what is an obvious lie, and then what is kind of a disguised lie. So... Those are kind of my thoughts to that.
2: Dad, what do you think? Well, I think we have to start with the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. But what good news? The good news is that God is king and that he is king of all creation. So when I when I hear the word antichrist, we must realize that Christ is a title. It is not a last name. It's not Jesus with the last name of Christ, but often you'll hear me mention Jesus with the title Christ Jesus. Uh, You see that uh, in our Bible as well, but Christ Jesus, Christ is a title that means he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the king, uh, the king of all creation. And so Uh, When we have anti, it's against this king. It's against the gospel. Exactly what Pastor Amanda was saying with uh, anything that wants to have a a, uh, destruction of reconciliation, uh, against love, against all the things that God stands for. And sometimes it is very manipulative and a uh, half-truth, if not a downright lie to manipulate.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the thing is that it is a half truth. And Amanda, we've talked in the past a lot about roaming virtues. And I really think this is very much essential to the to the heart of the Antichrist is that you can really manipulate a lot of people if you just pick one virtue. I know in our previous conversations, we've talked about the selection of one virtue. And I just wanted to get your thoughts. What do you think about the Antichrist um, just picking a, a virtue and branding themselves with that?
1: Well, and I think to what you're saying is like when some of the examples you gave where people honestly saw something that they thought was an injustice and that there are injustices in the world and they kind of got behind this one movement and – For some of them, there were lies that were told, there were manipulation that happened, and so maybe the roaming virtue was compassion, it was justice, and those things are necessary and they need to happen in our world, but they were um, untied to a bigger picture. And people who were kind of created this mob mentality were willing to create, create injustices in order to bring about the justice that they wanted. And that's where we really have to be connected to something bigger. We have to be connected not to our wisdom, but to God's wisdom. So we can decipher that and we can say, listen, this person's being evil. They have to be stopped. This person made a mistake and they need to be held accountable to it, but we need to figure it out. Or this person did something right, but lies have been circulated around them that has created division. We have to be able to judge things rightly. And sometimes it's so difficult in our world because we hear kind of, these key phrases or some buzzwords, and we're already, you know, to grab our torches and pitchforks and kind of burn the um, the monster down. And we've not really looked into it, so we get caught up because someone says compassion, someone says justice. You know, we're like, yes, these are good things, but again, it 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 can become untied um, to to what really needs to happen. It comes, you know, unfringed from from truth and from what from reality, and so. It's not always the easiest thing. Like the examples, Pastor Dylan, that you gave about the mob justice that was even happening in Jesus' time. It's very easy to go with the mob, because it feels good. It's kind of a knee-jerk reaction, Um, but actually to sit back and say, we've got to judge this rightly. And then if someone needs to be held accountable, by all means, we need to do that. But we need to do it after we've deliberated and have all the facts. And sometimes in our broken world, justice doesn't happen. Sometimes bad people go free. Uh, sometimes good people um, get hurt, and it, it is kind of a mess. But even within that broken system, we have to be a people of true justice that is tied to the wisdom of God.
0: And I think that's a fantastic point to make, Amanda, because it does pray. Many of these movements, they do prey on people's lust for justice. We want justice. People who are, are people of virtue, they hear things and they want to jump into it. And that's the thing which I think makes the Antichrist so dangerous, especially if we think of it as a tool of of preying on people because you can get people who are sincerely interested in doing good to to turn into a mob. Well, Dad, before we go on to our next segment, I know in the past you had talked a little bit about the Antichrist being a bit of a, a spirit, but you didn't define it as being a spirit in the sense of like it's a demon crawling around the world. But it's more of an atmosphere that can come upon a group of people or even an individual where it's more of a a character than it is a a demon. Um, Talk to me a little bit about that. What do you you mean when you think of the Antichrist as a spirit? Well, I'd
2: use the uh, example of spirit week perhaps at a a, – College ball game, um, homecoming week, or maybe even high school, where there there is an atmosphere to boost morale and and uh, get everyone excited and pumped up and play their best, um, and so. Uh, it's more of that that spirit there that creates an energy, and then all of a sudden you have people that that may not even be playing in the ball game that is so energized and following this. Um, and you'll see at it, 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 you know homecoming weeks and pep rally a spirit and an atmosphere um, where they are definitely rooting for the home team. The problem is you need to know what team you're rooting for, and so we must as uh, pastor amanda said and you have said uh understand what is this con- we need to be much greater connected to the truth of what's going on
0: all right well thank you all that was a great conversation about the antichrist again if you enjoyed our conversation about mm-hmm. that i'm going to do a whole podcast dedicated to this in the the upcoming weeks we're going to talk a bit more about this but now we're going to move to a bit of fun we're going to uh, take just a short segment break and then we're going to enjoy the Joy of Synthesizing where we make a little bit of synthesis music. Welcome to the Joy of Synthesizing. Together we're gonna have fun making a little synthesis music. to get the devil out of these synthesizers, so that we can learn to get the devil out of our lives. Now you may come along to this and say, Preacher, look at all those devilish cables and there's more knobs than the human mind could ever comprehend. I'll tell you this. These happy little tabletop synthesizers, they're not that complicated after all. In fact, they'll crawl right up in your lap and lick you in the face if you let them. And at the end of the day, they're a lot less complicated than people are. You see, as people, we are moral beings capable of making decisions. But these happy little synthesizers, they can be tamed just by coming along and playing a happy little melody right on into them they'll just loop that melody over and over again. But as people, we're a little different than that. We don't just play over and over again some melody that's been programmed into us, but instead we're able to make moral decisions. And this is why we need the transformation of Christ inside us so that we can make those good decisions. We've had fun making a little synthesis music. And let's have fun making good decisions so that we can get the devil out of our lives. All right. Well, that was a bit of fun, wasn't it? But I do want to point out this. While that was fun and that was a bit of comedy, the sentiment we are trying to communicate there is that we are moral beings. A lot of times people want to develop a theology where they see the world as this cosmic duality of God and the devil. Where if you do anything wrong, you can external the blame and say, well, it was the devil who made me do it. That is not what we're trying to say. We're instead trying to say your choices that you make in life for what matter. And you'll even, even notice in the end of that little video, it's your choices that make that you make that help get the devil out of you. Uh, do either of you have anything you would like to add to the end of the joy of synthesizing?
1: Well, I think just again, to reiterate your point, um, and also to reference something we had talked about when we talked about the Antichrist, it's really easy to blame our problems or our, even our personal decisions on somebody else. Um, It's really easy to blame people in leadership or those that we feel have more power than we do. Um, And again, that doesn't mean we don't hold those kinds of people accountable, but we have a lot of agency as beings of free will, and so as much as it pertains to us, we have to make those right choices, and I, I do love the phrase that you, that's in that video of getting the devil out. It does sound very um, charismatic almost, uh, but the point isn't that we're, we're um, exercising a uh, creature, uh, but that by making the right choices choices, we can live a holy life, a life that is separate from uh, the profane.
2: Well, I'd like to say, too, that with every um, encounter we have with uh, some type of atmosphere or or something that's a leader that's trying to lead, we always follow Christ. But the Antichrist sounds good. So as we hear something that sounds good, we cannot be lazy. We have to... um, use our intellect to understand uh, what is really happening here. So that's uh, that's something that I think is extremely important. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're going to move on to Marcion now.
0: And um, that was a bit of fun, the joy of synthesizing. I've done a few things recently which sort of make a gaffe of myself. Um, <laughs> Amanda brought up exorcism. Uh, Marcion is someone who is a heretic in the ancient church, the the early ancient church. Actually, he was quite close in time to Christ. Uh, When things like Marcionism, which we're going to get into here in a minute, the basic sentiment of what Marcionism was is that he edited out things that he considered inappropriate. And this is the technology issues that happen when we go live. As we find ourselves... In the world around us there's all sorts of things which can come into our life and distract and we want to brand theology with our own will that's really what marcion does he wants to separate out christianity from the old testament instead of saying jesus is a fulfillment of the old testament he just says the god of the old testament is wrong anyways um on the note of making a gaffe of oneself and exorcisms I did a wedding last weekend, and after the wedding was over, somebody made the comment, does he also do exorcisms? <laughs> I have n- never turned around so fast as I did then. I was going down the stairs. Somebody upstairs says, does he do exorcisms as well? I turned around as fast as you could ever imagine. And I'm powering up those steps, and I said, who, who needs an exorcism? And I yelled this out like really loud. <laughs> I was so excited. And I got up there and this lady was like, I have a child who's bad. And I was like, oh, you had me going there for a second. Got my hopes up. Anyway, so let's talk about Marcion. And this is something we talked about a little bit in the past, but it's Mm -hmm. come back up in our culture because a pastor outside of Atlanta, um, Andy Stanley is his name, he pastors a rather large church in a suburb around Atlanta. And he was preaching something here recently that's similar to Marcionism and the fact that it suggested that the Old Testament is really irrelevant to Christians. And he says that shouldn't be a barrier for people to come to Christ. The God of the Old Testament is harsh. He's legalistic. And basically, this this pastor, Anley Stanley, he preached something again. It was similar to Marcionism. He suggests the Old Testament is not all that important to people seeking Christ and to the Christian faith. And in his sermons, he builds up to this idea that Christ's New Testament values, generally the things which make us who we are as the church, they are, quote, completely detached from everything before, end quote. So that's what was going on in Pastor Anley Stanley's sermon. Now, Marcion, who is described as the firstborn of Satan, which is not just a random fact, it's actually very important to the New Testament, Well, potentially important. He was a very interesting person. Um, And if you stay tuned to our podcast, we're going to actually do a whole program on Marcion next Friday. We've actually got Marcion um, in for an exclusive interview. And that's going to be our whole thing next week or next Friday. Um, So Marcion, he was a heretic in the early church. And what he did was he came in and said, I'm going to develop a New Testament canon which that sounds good. We like having a New Testament. But the problem was, is he edited it. And he didn't do editing by adding things in, really. He just took out the things he didn't like. He took out any reference to the God of Old Testament that was positive. He took out positive references to Judaism in general, though not necessarily what we would think of today as Judaism because he's 2,000 years ago. So there's not that bit of history there. And he, he kind of, thinks that the God of the Old Testament is the Demiurge. He thinks God the Father is this um, evil cosmic demon-esque monster that's corrupted and, and chaotic. And so he separates out Jesus being God the Son from God the Father. And so he teaches this edited gospel, and he puts out a edited New Testament, and again, it's not actually edited by added things, but he just omits the text he doesn't like. And of course, this is the first New Testament to be put out, so it's not like he's editing something which was already existing. He just takes all the letters which are circulating around in the early church, and he picks and chooses what he likes. There's a big problem of that. And just so you get an idea of who this guy was, he was the arch nemesis, really, um, kind of, arch nemesis of Polycarp and Polycarp is a bishop in the early church who is the disciple of John, who is one of Jesus' disciples. So Marcion's really only like three people removed from Jesus and not very far away in from time. Well, anyways, what do you all think about Marcion and the problem of editing by omission? What do you what do y'all think about that, Amanda? I'll let you have your thoughts first.
1: Okay, well, I think there's some interesting things going on in, in all that was said. Um When we hear about Marcion and his heresy, we can kind of quick be like, okay, obvious a heresy saying that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, and not only that, but is that actually an evil antagonist of the God of the New Testament. But if it's so obvious and so easy, then how do we, 2,000 years later, after lots of church councils, after many theologians, have a pastor that comes out and says something that's a lot like Marcionism? And I think it reminds me of this phrase, I love my papa, and he is a a great man of God, but he had this joke that he would tell us anytime we would do our our daily devotionals, and he would say, only read the red. And if you're familiar with kind of uh, older Bibles, and uh, some even today, all of Jesus's words are in red. So obviously, you would only have red in the New Testament. And what my papa was trying to convey is that Jesus's words are really important. But a lot of people take a very similar thought, and they take it too far. They say, well, you know, the Jesus of, that we see in the New Testament is someone of compassion and love, and we only take that part, and so we like it, versus if we read the Old Testament, there is a lot to struggle with. And if we read our New Testament well, there's a lot to struggle with that as well. And it calls us to live this life that is difficult. It's not always easy. And some people, yes, have taken that and manipulated it into legalism. They have used it to justify horrible behavior and to oppress other people. But just because people have misinterpreted scripture doesn't mean we get to throw it all away. And so that's, I think, how we get to this pastor in Atlanta doing what he's doing is because he's seen people's poor interpretation of scripture that he wants to just kind of say, okay, no, we can sweep it under the rug, pretend it doesn't exist, and we'll just get to the good parts that we like. The God of, you know, that says, um, peace be still and um, get up and walk. But we miss the parts where also Jesus says, sin no more. And he calls religious leaders, um, whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. I mean, there's some really harsh things going on in this, even in our New Testament. And for us to just pick one side, is to deny the comprehensive story of God, that yes, Jesus is the paramount example of God's redemptive love, but it wasn't like God chose um, 30 AD to finally start saving people. That's something that was happening since the beginning of creation. So to deny our Old Testament roots is to deny the story of God.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. Um, I also think it's a bit lazy, too, from the critical thinking standpoint. Because so many times, we have the things we like, and we just want to pick and choose the things that we like. We, We like to live in this world of false dichotomies. We don't like to make intellectual distinctions and say Christ is the fulfillment of the law. We like to say, well, Christ is the destroyer of the law. Because we're not capable of making those distinctions and saying... We need to put this in context, that in context. We need to learn more here. And that's one of the issues I see. Dad,
2: what do you think about all of this? Well, first of all, I think our ancestors in the Christian church, one of the greatest things um, that they had the foresight in doing was bringing what we call the Old Testament, but really bringing those scriptures along with us because they are instructions. And yes, if we look at Abraham and if we look at, um, uh, some of the stories there, we see some really awful things, Noah and different ones. But the the thing is, they, God continued to work through the people and he continued to be there. So these stories are about God and God's people. And what, like I said, they are instructions. I know some people say, well, you get really legalistic, but uh, without the scriptures, we would definitely be um, in a... Uh, a place where the New Testament is hard to understand um, without the the preface. I guess it's more than a preface. Uh, they're are totally instructions uh, to to help us through life. And we often read those stories, uh, those you know the history. Uh, all of this we find that we we sometimes easily fit in the sandals of those.
0: Well, very good. So, I think we can all agree Marcionism is bad. (laughs) The editing out of things. Yes? Yes. 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 Definitely. (laughs) Um, Just so we're all on the record there. My thing is, it's so tempting to do that. Oh, yeah. And one of the things, it's also tempting to think that we know everything about everything. One of the lessons that our culture is learning, and I think the dissolving of marriage and people moving what they call the sexual revolution, realizing in Hollywood, all the scandals that came out recently are are an indictment of this. When you try to take away things like virtues and even the law, these things are a lot more complicated than we realize they were. The stories of Abraham, and I love things like Nehemiah and Esther and Job, they're way deeper and more complicated than we would ever realize. So just that quick sweep, it takes all of a few seconds to say, well, we're gonna throw that away. And it can sometimes take thousands of years to appreciate the value of certain things. Well, we're going to go ahead and move to our final segment. So we'll be back here just after a few moments. Well, we are back. So the final thing we're going to talk about today is what is a Nazarene and why do we have so many different denominations? A friend of mine sent me a WhatsApp message because that's how we roll in the modern world. We're too good for text (laughs) messages, but not so snooty that we we don't use Facebook Messenger for everything. Though Facebook Messenger is actually pretty nice, but it gets really (laughs) hairy when you have like 12 messaging apps on your phone. Do either of y'all have like this problem where there's so many different messaging apps that it gets messy quickly.
1: I just have text and Facebook.
0: (laughs) You just have text and Facebook. See, I know people that message all over everything. It gets crazy quick. Anyway. So the question was, why are there so many different denominations and, and you know, what is a Nazarene? How did we get to this point? Um, yeah. Amanda, what are your thoughts on this? What is a Nazarene? How about we'll start with that?
1: What is a Nazarene? All right. Awesome. I can feel like I'm at the district advisory board. Um, you are <laughs> I am. this will be used against me um, no um okay well we can look kind of basically at our theology and i think the best way to look at that is our three core values that we are christian we are holiness and we are missional uh basically we are christian being that we um follow the apostles creed the traditions and councils of the early church uh, we believe in uh scripture that has been organized into our canon so the old and new testament and um we fall we believe in a triune god uh, so the father son and holy spirit we are holiness this kind of sets us apart a little bit from other denominations in the sense that we have a great emphasis that entire sanctification can happen in this lifetime it is not something that we produce but again like our salvation is an act of god that works in us and through us uh, to redeem the world and we are missional so we believe in proclaiming the good news, the gospel, to all corners of the earth, whether it is where we are locally or internationally. Um, And so that kind of, in a very quick nutshell, explains kind of our theology.
0: And just to add to the whole idea of Christian perfection and entire sanctification, we understand that perfection is not 100% without flaw, but it's that you're functioning as you were intended to. I like to use the example of an old clarinet that I bought at an antique store. It has a lot of cracks in it. Um, I think I paid 15 bucks for it. It was in like a kit to make into a lamp or something like that. Um, it's an old clarinet. The keywork puts it in the like 1870s-ish. And I bought this thing. It had holes in it. And it's made out of wood. And I took super glue some other materials. And I filled in the holes. And I put it back together. And it plays. It actually plays quite nicely. Uh, in college and whatnot, I've, I've played the larger clarinets. Bass clarinet and stuff. And larger saxophones i don't necessarily care for the smaller woodwinds but when i do play them it's it's nice to have a good working instrument this clarinet that i paid 15 bucks for plays better than some of the more expensive clarinets that i've experienced in life and it's because it's functioning as it should so perfection is not being without flaw it's kind of being like the clarinet that's had its holds fetched and and so what um dad Talk to us a bit about how we've got to the point of having so many di- different denominations. Well,
2: there's everything from schisms to really, I guess I want to say a little more about the Church of the Nazarene. They came together more or less as a, um, not as a schism, but as we started to realize there were those who were uh, passionate about not just holiness, but also missions and servicing uh, services to the poor, and then also uh, education. Education was big, and so they realized by pooling their resources together, they could form a denomination and uh, be a better steward with those resources. So uh, the Church of the Nazarene has many different backgrounds, so when you start seeing different denominations, a lot of times it is about their cardinal rule or or their emphasis in a, in a certain area. One of the things I would like to add to this is the fact that in the Church
0: of the Nazarene, we recognize that we are part of the church, which is a universal concept. We, as the Church of the Nazarene, we don't say that if you're not in the Church of the Nazarene, you can't be saved. Now, there are those of us who will come to the table and say, If you're a heretic, if you're doing something like Marcionism, that needs to be uh, distinguished in such a way that we say this is not orthodox, this is inappropriate. And I think there's a time and place for that. But we do recognize that the church itself is a very universal concept, although when I say universal, I'm not meaning that if you just happen to walk the face of the earth, you you are saved just because you are. I think there is still unmistakably... They call for personal transformation in the personal relationship with Christ. But we do understand that that there are other denominations and people come to Christ on a number of circumstances. Absolutely. All right. Well, I know that was the short answer (laughs) of that for time purposes. We can't dedicate too much more to that question. But any final thoughts you would have on how? What advice would you give to someone why don't we end with this question. What advice would you give to someone who's looking for
2: a church to be with? Dad, what do you think? Well, I think there are are lots of things you can you can obviously look at a denomination, there should be lots of uh, literature and, and a background of what they believe in a, in a, a group of doctrines. I think uh, we call them our articles of faith. But there is an accountability factor there. And, and one of the things that always concerns me is I, I believe in, I have Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. I have, you know, Protestant brothers and sisters from different denominations. And I also have some non-denominational, which really non-denominations are a denomination of, of their own uh, and they just call it non-denominational. But uh, the accountability factor is extremely important. And I think the way that there's different uh, government structures uh, lined up in that. But, you know, one one thing is you would need to um, ask for a manual and what they believe and then see how it lines up with your thinking and how it lines up with the Bible, of course.
0: Amanda, what are your thoughts, advice you would give to someone looking for a church? Who is was well, unfamiliar with denominations.
1: Well, and I think that what, what Pastor Mike said is very good is to understand what they believe. First and foremost, just because it says it's a church or a Christian doesn't necessarily mean it is. There are oh. uh, various places that proclaim a Christian message, but if you look into what they believe and how they run their church, they're really not. So always judge everything um, kind of by the basics of Christendom, and we have kind of find that in the Apostles' Creed. We also see that in Scripture. And so if they're ever doing anything that is – Obviously, in contrast to those things, then we can say, nope, that's not Christian, definitely off the list. After that, when it comes to, once they're orthodox and you've kind of established that they follow the correct thought of Christianity, then you kind of go into what aligns um, best with your personal philosophy and theology. And again, it's not saying that, do they think exactly like me? It's not putting yourself as the first um, measurement to judge it, but it is saying, okay, there are lots of different theories of atonement. There's lots of ways in which we articulate what Christ's salvation does for us. And we have to work through that and understand them. And so some of that gets a little nitty gritty. Also, there's just kind of general, the culture of a church. Each denomination is different and then each church within a denomination may be different. So just cause you've gone to a Nazarene church in the past may not mean that a new Nazarene church is the best fit for you. So there does come a point for personal preference. Again, that shouldn't be the paramount uh, measuring stick that you use. But you have to understand that of what they believe, how they run their church, and what happens in that church, and how you can best fit into that ministry. And again, as Dylan said, the church is the church, a universal. There's not, the Nazarenes don't have all the answers, the Wesleyans don't, the Catholics don't. Um, We become the church as one body, as we work together. And so just because you join one church doesn't somehow mean that you're outside of the faith and so you've got to kind of learn those things it's going to take time talking to the minister and to other people who are involved in the leadership of a church is a great way to understand what they believe and how they work and how they see themselves as a part of the universal church
0: all right i do want to reassert one thing amanda said because i think it's a good tool you can slip in your pocket because it's a simple little tool the apostles creed absolutely see if the place you're looking at lines up with the Apostles' Creed, if they do not, that's a good canary in the coal mine that there's something wrong going on there. Because people like Marcion, Marcion, Montanus, Maximilla, Priscilla, just a different Priscilla. I know you're out there thinking of, of a, a good Priscilla. No, no, there's some bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> there are people out there who have corrupted the church. Corruption will come into anything. Anyways, We'll leave it there. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed our podcast, please grab a link to our content. Share it with your friends, family. That'll help us out tremendously. If you'd like to support us monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash kingdom of the Lagos. We appreciate your donations. Again, you can find us on Facebook, SoundCloud. We're putting up written content now, a few articles on Tumblr. So if you go to kingdom of the you can find that there. You can follow me on Twitter at Jade Proctor. And on that note, remember to be righteous because our world is trying to bury righteousness.